I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat. People look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they mate picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> you have a whiskey while we- Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Long. Cheers. So welcome back to United States of Dramerica. We had a pause for the seasonal break and now we're back for more in 2020. And we're trying something we've not tried before, which is one host but two guests. And this evening I am delighted that we have publicist to the stars, Daniel B. Welcome, Daniel. Good evening. Good evening. Who's obviously Scottish. And we have the co-founder of Inc., Michael Keating. Good evening. An Irishman, to go with the Scotsman, you see. Northern Irish? Northern Irish, indeed. Good. Um, also hit by the tariffs, the whiskey from Northern Ireland, but that's too detailed about whiskey for this podcast. So the reason we're doing this podcast this week is because it is a very special week for those people who are from Scotland. And it is a very special week because it is Burns. And... Daniel B. Not, is not just a Scotsman who drinks whiskey. He is the author of the catchily titled How to Celebrate Burns Night, a modern and informal guide to celebrating Scotland's most famous poet, Robert Burns. So, Daniel B. Yes. What was it like working as a publicist for Hugh Hefner? <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot easier than writing a book about Burns, to be honest. Well, let's, let's, let's do the Burns stuff later. So, okay. Um, for those people who wow. don't know what a publicist is, which may be some of our listeners, because we have a few who are from Britain, where people don't do publicity in the same way. What, what does a publicist actually do? Oh, what a great question. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's not that great a question. No, it is. It's very straightforward, oh, okay. because PR people look after products, and publicists look after people. It's as simple as that. So it's, it's media relations for a person, rather than... So, for example, I looked after Hugh Hefner... I did not look after the Playboy magazine or the brand. And it's as simple as that. I was looking after the personal reputation of Hugh Hefner. How does one look after the personal reputation of Hugh Hefner? Um, <laughs> um, this, and you're, you're going back a few years, and it was for his 80th birthday tour around Europe. And at that point, we were launching his TV show with Holly Bridget and Kendra around the whole of Europe. You're saying their first names as if I would know who they are. Well, I think... I a lot of your listeners probably will. And didn't you have to go in a private jet with him and, and the girls for several months? It was um, all around Europe. Yes. It was 21... What a terrible job. And get paid for that. <laughs> 21 days, five countries, nine cities. And actually, I mean, it's, it's the most embarrassing thing about this whole thing. It was we went to some beautiful cities, but I was working. And it was a PJ, private jet with buddies on board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of bunnies on board. Not only was it a private jet, it was a private 737. Wow. Um, oh, really? So it was actually really... It's not even a proper private jet, that's like a commercial airliner yeah. with no one else on it. Correct. And wow. it was huge. With bedrooms. And bunnies. 
Okay, well, thanks for coming. <laughs> so do you want to talk about Robert Burns now? That, that's, no. a good, that's a good opening uh, yeah. few minutes to the yeah. podcast, isn't it? Yeah, so do, is it Hugh Hefner or the dead Scottish poet you want to talk about? I mean, it's it's quite a, you know it's quite a difficult one to bounce against one another. Actually, okay, I'm gonna. So oh gosh, we're going to assume some knowledge of Robert Burns here. Okay, go on. If you were Robert Burns's publicist, yeah, how would you handle <laughs> Robert Burns, who was? Multiple wives, multiple children, yeah, yeah. an alcoholic. Um, it wasn't misogyny in those days because that hadn't been invented yet. But it, it, he would not have passed the woke test nowadays. How would one publish? How would one protect his personal reputation? I mean, that doesn't sound too different from many of the challenges of today, anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, it's. I mean, some people. Some people would argue that there's um, there's a number of politicians in very high places uh, who are sort of white men who are multiple women, multiple children by multiple women, multiple marriages, multiple divorces, who are a little bit philandering and somewhat, <clears throat> well, you know, uh, strangers to the truth. So actually, um, with Burns, you would focus on what he's good at. He was a beautiful, beautiful poet, a beautiful writer, and a, a romantic man in every shape and form. So you would focus on what he's good at, not what he's sort of slightly questionable for. Well, I think it's more than slightly questionable, but you are a publicist. I feel <laughs> well, like you've spun me a line well, there. Well, I, mean, I don't know if it worked, but um, it's certainly with Burns, I don't think they ever really found out how many children he had. No. Uh, there's still a number of people with the surname of Burns who, who claim lineage. So I do want to talk a little bit about the tradition of that, but obviously you're a publicist and some of the work you've done is around high-profile individuals, but you also do some work for organisations. And you're actually sure. a publicist for this publisher. Um, Which is why we're doing this together. Yes. So uh, why don't you actually tell us a little bit about Inc? Because it's not a household name as a holding company, but in terms of the things that you... Uh, publish it really is yes we we are the media organization behind some of the biggest um, in-flight magazines in the world so we work with 29 airlines globally including American and United uh, here in the US and and, and Amtrak obviously the real network um, but then Virgin Atlantic Singapore Airlines Philippine Airlines Etihad and the list goes on and American Airlines magazine is by circulation, the largest publication, or the most, the largest publication in the world, is that right? So American is the biggest carrier by volume of traffic, yep. carrying 220 million passengers a year, and American Way has this phenomenal up to 18 million passengers each month, but then we're building out um, a lot of the digital assets as well, so it's not, as of course you'd know, not just about print today. No, well, I mean, I know that you've had some extraordinary people writing blogs for the American Airlines magazine website, for example. We did. I mean, you know, I don't know what became of him. So um, I, I think it lasted... <laughs> I think full disclosure at this moment. Yeah, full disclosure for <clears throat> about six months uh, through my friend Daniel B, who the publicist... for I managed to write a, uh, a blog for a few months while when I was a diplomat about Brits in America. Yeah, so is um, that why you left government, was it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, full disclosure, in terms of how we met, I was trying to remember on the way how I met you. Oh, and gosh. So, Were you on that private jet with Hugh Hefner? Um, no. Oh. Um, oh. I wasn't, although obviously a lot of people probably wished they had been. I arrived in LA on a Monday to start my posting here, and on the Thursday in the and way... What, what was the posting? So, just, <laughs> are you interviewing me now? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so I was, um, I was the regional director for... 
then you, the uh, United Kingdom Trade and Investment Department, uh, and I was in charge of the west coast of America, trying to encourage American companies to invest in the UK. And I was based in the British consulate here. And in the wonderful way it works, when you arrive in your new job, they host a big party for you, which is a great way to start a job when they invite 250 people to say hello to you. And at that party, which was three days after I landed here, having flown Virgin, um, I don't remember reading a magazine because <laughs> I had a two and a half year old kid. Who right, I'm, looking I'm after. leaving. That's it. It was game over. We're done. <laughs> and uh, you were there as somebody's plus one. I was. And I remember meeting you and uh, because obviously you were small and Scottish and I was thought I was very important. I don't remember having a very long conversation with you. I, I, you, you foisted your business card upon me um, and I thought nothing of it. And then... <laughs> well, you, you thought he's terribly rude. <laughs> <laughs> but over the next six years, I realised actually that you're... Obviously, you're a very good friend, but more than that, you're actually quite good at your job and oh, you're you. incredibly well connected and you seem to know everybody. Uh, and oh. my favourite you knowing everybody story oh, is we were hosting a, uh, an Oscar, a pre-Oscars party with the British government and Jessie J was the performer. <laughs> and in the way these things work, Jessie J arrives in the Bentley that we'd provided for her and somebody said, Dan, can you look after when she comes in the room and just sort of introduce her to some interesting people and I sort of scrambled around trying to find some interesting people and uh, Daniel was standing next to me at the time so I thought well he, we can pretend so I took him to the door and Jesse J walked in I said oh you know hi Jesse welcome to the party oh can I introduce you to some people introduce to Daniel at which point you said do you not remember me I was your manager when you were six years old <laughs> <laughs> which was extraordinary and we had her in the front cover of American Way exactly and it was this amazing thing where she was um, performing in Whistle Down the Wind in 1998 as a young kid. And I'd helped launch the show. So I'd met her then. And she would, I mean, you could remember because you sort of get to know the cast. Mm. And even though the cast may be 40 people for any big West End musical, you, you get to know everybody. And, and then Ink were doing a shoot with her in Australia, I think it happened, because she was there. And, and was sort of thought I might go into that shoot as well. Because like anything, and like even like we're sitting here, personal relationships and knowing someone and having that sort of ice-breaking anecdote or having knowledge or having interest is sort of what I think human life is about. It's about yeah. interaction, people getting together. It's about celebrating. It's about drinking whiskey. When does that happen? Oh, um, yeah, sorry, that's a good point. This yeah, is a whiskey uh, podcast. Um, um, God. Although, just to, just like she... promised a drink, I thought. She didn't remember you, which I thought was oh, a nice part of the story. Not. But anyway, uh, right. So... Um, uh, so obviously normally on this podcast we bring a bottle of whiskey for the guest, that's his tradition. We have two guests and we have two bottles of whiskey, uh, one for each of the drinking types that we have with us. So Daniel is small and gruff and very Scottish and he likes real peated whiskey. You can open this oh, thank bottle you. and tell us what it is if you like. Well, I mean, you know, this is where as a, as a Lowlander Edinburgh boy and you see something that's got something that looks slightly Gallic on it, you sort of go, oh God, am I going to get this right? You go, is it Lefroig? Is it this? How do you pronounce these words? It's definitely this, not Lefroig. No, that's true. This is a, this is a white box. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a black box. There we go. It's Ben Reich. And I already apologise if I get that wrong. And to my... So it's, it's peated and you can pour, actually. Oh, can I pour? Now, now we have options. Uh, you have to imagine this, listeners. We have glasses. Uh, Daniel doesn't own any Glen Cairns because although he's Scottish, I guess he's too Scottish to actually buy proper whiskey glasses. But careful. Um, he has um, quakes, which I think is the correct pronunciation. So the friendship cups, the metal friendship cups, which you can drink out I of. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, I, there's a lot of ceremony around drinking whiskey. Yes. But, and maybe... This is my introduction to whiskey. It's just family friends drinking it. But how did, how did you have these little 
I've metal got these, sources. These, I've got these metal saucers. I think they actually came from one of your previous no, guests. I was going to say, feel free to say that you know you bought them from an antique shop, but actually I was at the same polo event where they were giving them out because they were sponsored <laughs> so by they Royal Saloon. So they were, no, they were, they were yes. gifted. They were gifted. gifted. You were allowed well, to actually, take them home, like yeah. flower arrangements. I think, actually, I think you had Lorne. Did you not have Lorne on one of your, your, your previous yeah. podcasts? Oh, I did think, he give them to you? I think these are Lorne-based, oh, um, right. not Lorne sausage, but Lorne whiskey-based okay. gifts. So uh, I'm sure you all know that uh, when Donald Trump met the first overseas leader after he became president, it was Prime Minister Theresa May, and the gift she gave him, because his mother is Scottish, yes. was, no, I don't think it was free royal salute ones, <laughs> but he was given a, an ornate quake, which is an interesting nice. piece of gift, given he doesn't, doesn't drink. drink alcohol. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> it was a nice gesture. But is it not actually true that he used to drink alcohol, and it's partially myth that he's never or does not? I think... Uh, this is where we get it wrong, and people are gonna millions of people are gonna, millions, millions of people are going I think he did drink, and I, I think the story is right. I think his brother died when he was young, possibly from some kind of mm. alcohol-related incident. I'm now going to Google this and correct this in the edit, but um, there was something like that, and I think he stopped drinking at that point. Although it could all be entirely wrong. So shall um, I just say for the edit? Oh, did he? That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, if I'm right, that's <coughs> great knowledge. Um, if I'm wrong, then, you yeah. know, like everything at the moment to do with the American presidency, there's a lot of falsehoods swimming around. Can you pour this? Yes, drink, is that okay? Um, how we many, don't, we do don't I, actually do politics. Um, do we want to, how many do we want? Gosh, three? Michael, would you would you rejoin well, as, as, as it's a sharing be, sharing cup? It'd be odd to come on a whiskey podcast and not. It's not like the love sharing whiskey. love cup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pour. I'm gonna pour a hefty one for Dan because Jesus, Jesus. that's enormous. It's uh, um, all right. Cheers. I'm, uh, cheers. So I'm very much ready for this. Here we go. Cheers. Two hands uh, of it. Okay. Cheers. I'm, I'm so going, this will be and this is coughing um, peaty. and and no water. So the water, the water adds to the peatiness. So the water enhances the flavour of whiskey. So if you, well, you add water, it enhances the flavour. Oh, you were right with that. It's one. a That's serious fantastic. whiskey. Fantastic. Thank you to a podcast co-host, absent for the last ten episodes, Chris Cusseter, for selecting this whiskey this evening. I mean, I have to say that is absolutely fantastic. His brief was something peaty, and he's given you it. But if you fill your mouth with saliva and then drink it, it it, it enhances the peatiness. Uh, I do it with water, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually that's delicious. No, no, it's I, lovely. Actually. I'm not. I don't like peated. I'm. I'm. I'm not like some I people. It's delicious, but it's actually rather nice. Um, we may not even have time to open the second bottle. Anyway, right, let's do this properly. So, <laughs> this is Burns. Tell yes. me, for those who genuinely don't know, who is and oh, why do we still celebrate him today? Okay. I mean, like, two questions. Two great questions. I mean, Robert Burns is a poet. You know, saying things are great questions is just yeah. a device to give you more time for an answer. Well, exactly. Do you remember earlier he was saying, you know, what's a good publicist? When he does media training, he'll always say, no, you must always start with, <laughs> what a great question. Yeah, while you then think of the lie exactly. you're about to tell. No, okay, right. So. Can, can I swear on this podcast or can I not? No, no, it's, if, if you're old enough to drink whiskey... You're old enough to listen to swearing. Yeah, so. You can fucking swear. Thank God for yeah. that. Jesus Christ. Um, what's the question? I can't remember. <laughs> two really good questions. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, those two really good so, questions. Oh, yeah, those ones. Yeah, so um, why no, Burns? Um, Who is Burns and why does he still matter? Robert Burns, Scottish, obviously. Poet, writer, songwriter, lover of the world. Um, born seven... <laughs> That's gone down the wrong wrong pipe. No, no, it's very peaty. And we've lost the other presenter. That wouldn't go down too well, would it? Um... Poet, 
and beautiful poet. And quite simply, his friends, after he died, decided to get together and celebrate his life. I think it was 1801. And they all got together to host their first Burns Supper to get together and actually just celebrate. He died aged 37, which is pretty young um, to have achieved so much as he did. And was he famous in his lifetime? Yes. Okay. Um, thankfully, I mean, it's towards the, the latter part of his life where they, 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 they published his works and it became the sort of talk of Edinburgh and, 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 and really took off. But uh, his friends actually celebrated on the wrong day. You generally do on his birthday. And they actually got the day wrong on, in, in 18, uh, uh, just beginning of, the, beginning of the new century. But he, he was obviously a fun guy. He was, he was someone you would want to be spending time with. I guess the question is, why do we celebrate him now and why is it relevant? Um, the music, the, the poems, the, the attitude, the ideas have sort of stayed alive in the sense that um, of Mice and Men, Gang After Glee, if you know that poem, you know exactly what's going to happen in John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. The first of, the, the first of January or the 31st, and as you sing Old Lang Syne, you think of Burns. You know, it's, and Old Lang Syne is the most... I can't remember what the statistic... Difficult no, no, song to remember. Difficult statistic to remember. But it's... Apparently, I think that and Happy Birthday are the two yeah. most well-known songs in the world or the most sung or yeah, something. I mean, and I, I think he's his number one. And I think... And, and, and Summertime by Gershwin is probably in there as a third. But, but it's, it's still known as being a very relevant song. Um, Burns' poetry was, was cited and used as argument to end slavery. In, oh, in America, really? a man's a man, and all that, and all that, and all that. And it's about equality, because he was definitely a, a a man who believed in equality, and that still has relevance. He talks about the environment. I mean, he was he was kind of a um, like the Greta Thunberg of his time. Well, I think about a bit more, a bit more booze, um, and and I think it's just it still resonates that not much has really changed in human attitude and or relationships with family or, and or relationships with um, love affairs and people's interaction with one another. And it, it still works. And, and what, for, for the uninitiated, mm. what will people experience this week at a burn supper? I mean, it's, it, there is a very standard format that you're meant to follow. Um, a Passover. Exactly. No, but seriously, I no, mean, no, absolutely. it is very formulaic, but, but lots of courses, you can't do things until someone's done something. Yeah, less stuff. horseradish, right? Yeah, look, that was actually a genuine point, but mock it no, if no, you no, will. No, 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 but it's, in, in my experience of Passover, you I mean, there is a very set set of rules and you go by it and you yeah. don't really deviate. No. And, and, you know, two and a half, three hours of reading uh, has been known to occur. Yeah. With Burns and how... how I like to run the Burns event that we're hosting in Los Angeles with, with the wonderful Chantal Rickards and, and Ross King, one of your other previous guests. Uh, Ross um, King MBE, sorry. Full, sorry, full name. please forgive me. Um, he, uh, you know, we try, we've adapted it for today. What would have Burns wanted today? He'd want a really good night out. He probably wouldn't want to be spending too much time on formality. Whereas my understandings of Passover is the ones I've visited and, and been at. Let's move on from this Passover okay. because it's but, actually a terrible analogy. No, no, but actually, actually, I was going to write a book about... Anyway, that's another story for another day. But it's, it's, it's a celebration that you can adapt. Yeah. Um, and you can do it whichever way you want. Adapting for convenience. Exactly. And because you just... Maybe it's an excuse for a big old pisser. Well, and in Jan- Have you done many burns, Michael? Do you know, tomorrow will be my first. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm very kindly invited by Daniel... Um, 
and it's a BAFTA event. It is. Down in Santa Monica, so I'm very much looking forward to it. And I've um, spent a lot of time going out to find the right bit of tartan attire. Oh, very important. And I've come armed with my trues, my tartan trues, which um, will be getting their first outing very tomorrow good. evening. I remember when I went to the inaugural one of those, I remember I needed yeah. some tartan. I went on yeah. to, I found the famous Mook Amazon uh, matching <laughs> pocket chief and tie. Uh, tar- I'm not sure exactly which clan it was, but it, oh. I still, actually I have it in my uh, pocket square this evening. Oh, so gosh. So I'm still very tartan. And don't you pipe in the haggis? Yes, we're going to pipe in the haggis. And the, the, in Los Angeles, you can find a number of... Who's bagpiping for you? Good question. Um, it's, it's, it's sadly not Lorne, because no. Lorne... Um, who, whose cup I'm drinking out of um, here is one of the best pipers in the world who had piped with Madonna. He was on Madonna's world tour as a bagpiper, as one does. And, and we have someone that he recommended because um, Lauren sadly cannot make okay. it. So, um, yeah, you pipe things in. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that... Can we talk about haggis just because people don't know what haggis is? Some people don't know what haggis is. I can give you the whole story on this if you really Well, give want. me the short version and also the fact <laughs> it's illegal here, but go on. Um, yeah, it, it, it is illegal here, as are many meat-based products in America. Um, Left over from the BSE days? or just? Well, it wasn't actually. Um, when we had bovine spongiform enkelopathy, it was to do with... <laughs> Enkepalopathy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so close. Oh, but um, so far. But um, so far. Um, it was actually, it's not, it wasn't a BSE problem. Um, it was more to do with just trade embargoes of imported meat. And what is the dish? Um, if you believe one or two or three historians, it was, it could be pronounced hagas, which came uh, sort of from the Vikings. It's a bit like um, celebration of Eid, where you take an animal, the sacrificial lamb, you, you would arrive somewhere, you would uh, dispatch the lamb, and as the joke goes, you, um, you know, dispatch the lamb, sell the wool, eat the rest. And haggis is made out of eating the rest. But a little bit more detail is you take the perishable bits, the heart, the lung, the liver, chop it all up, um, add some oats and spices. You'd want to boil it up and, and you boil it in a bag. And the, the, the bag that was available as a stomach lining, cleaned, um, and you just boil it in the bag. And it, 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 obviously it doesn't necessarily sound amazing the way you describe it, but it's absolutely delicious. Well, you don't eat the stomach bit, which is the bit that normally turns stomach, is you just don't eat that bit, you eat the bits inside. I think that's where boiling the bag dishes came from. It is, it's, 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 it's Uncle McBen's. Um, and it's, 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 it's pretty delicious. I mean, if, if you like yeah. chopped liver and you like anything that's sausage-based, you know, Michael's finished. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm done. So you finish your... Sorry, <clears throat> just interrupt the actual talking about this stuff to talk about back to whiskey. So do you want some more whiskey, or do we want the whiskey we brought for you? Absolutely. I thought that was delicious, but actually I enjoyed it with just a bit of water. Okay. So uh, I was told that you're not a big whiskey drinker. I'm not a, I, I like whiskey, but I'm not a big whiskey drinker. So real whiskey drinkers, gruff little Scotsman like Daniel. <laughs> but like I love that. Peated stuff, which is interesting because I, love I got you the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. So what we got for you is... It's what probably would have been referred to in the old days as a ladies' whiskey. Excuse I'm leaving. So the two sort of starter whiskeys yeah. um, are Singleton from Duffton, um, and then a starter whiskey. They start your like no, no, when, you're, when you're 14. You need stabilizers. It's got to take the stabilizers no, no, off. When I I I had an accident on. Very Are you sure you want to tell me this? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I've written about this extensively, twice, um, but not in your publication, okay, in a different blog good. that I wrote. Um, but I had a whiskey accident when I was about 20, uh, when I drank very, very much blended whiskey 
cheap when I was a student in Canada. And you, I was have very, you brought me cheap blended whiskey? No, no, no. <laughs> and I was very, very ill, and I couldn't drink whiskey for years. Even the smell of it made me feel sick. And then when I got a job in the diplomatic service, knowing that I would be working as... De- Forced to drink whiskey. Deputy Consul General to a Scottish Consul General, I knew I'd have to drink whiskey. So a friend of my wife, who collects whiskey, trained me on these sorts of whiskies to get me into it and then work me up to the bigger ones and then I got the job and on my first night in the job I drank half a bottle of whiskey I so, have to say the training has been very successful <laughs> no, it really has he's, he's very proud of me so do we need Brown. new glasses so, I mean I go with the argument you just pour it straight in yeah I mean Daniel doesn't have real whiskey glasses so I mean it doesn't really yeah, matter yeah, so um, what about this spittoon this is a, <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be a screw top this is a this is a real okay. start of whiskey. It's a start of whiskey. Can you open it for me? Michael? It's a start of whiskey you can't get into, Dan. This is <laughs> this is not a good start. Maybe it's got a child lock on it. Um, <laughs> you have to sort of push it in and pull it at the same time, or just turn it around. It's so a, this is a Glen you Cadden. Got, you've actually just got to take the lead off the top. That's all you have to do. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, it doesn't say start of whiskey on it. it must have been charming palms. Anyway, so we're drinking. We're drinking Glen. <laughs> Ken Cadam, you, you're getting on there. You're, yeah. that, very good. That was a, that was a disappointing nice sound, though. In in this, yeah, go for it. Stick it in there. Oh. That's a good pour, isn't it? Oh, that door. Oh, you see, you're good. These are this. real sound. Effects. They're not added sounds. Oh no, I'm still drinking. You you go okay. first on that one. But okay, cheers okay. anyway. I mean, we'll join I you. I'm gonna make this. Shall I have a look? Mm. Oh, is this a clean glass? Okay, I'll have some as well. I mean, yeah. this is a school night. It's it's much later than the. And you know what's one. great? Hang on, let's look. It Cheers. is ten past nine. This is the proper time to be doing this podcast. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, we did one. We did record one in the morning for our sins. We're How not did doing that, that again. Go? Terribly. Wh- which who did you have in the program? Uh, we don't talk about that. It's not fair on the other guests. I think I can guess. Yeah, you probably can. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> uh, I love the way Michael's done his research. He's listened to them all. Oh, listened wow. to them all. It's a very different flavour profile, as they would say. Very, very different. Very. Hits at the back of the throat a bit. So there's no coming back from that. No, there's none. Um, I mean, I. Uh, it's just a bit late on its feet for me. That one. We're um, we're we're a whiskey neutral on this podcast. Are you really? So we don't criticise any of the whiskies. I'm not criticising one. Oh, you're just, just saying. So just edit that out. Yeah, it's just, just not that. for you. But but hold on. I also like that. So what's interesting? <laughs> you just like it all, don't you? <laughs> Is that? Always, yeah, always, maybe always I'm, feeling better now. Though I think it's absolutely lovely. So you. you the thing that people say you should do is hold the whiskey in your mouth for the same number of seconds as it is aged, and then you get a whole range of flavours. So this will be 10 seconds? This will be 10 seconds. And we can go back to my saliva comment earlier, and you're like, just mix it with water. Yeah, you could just mix it with water. <laughs> no, but there is, there is, I think it's that exact point, when you hold it in your mouth for 10 seconds, when the saliva does come in, it does change the taste. I, I think it does. Um, when the water thing is just a, a biological function of water changing the profile in a good way, opening up the flavours, and ice closes it down, which is why. Oh, I like that idea about keeping it in your mouth for a number of years. That's actually yeah, it, it gets annoying. not a number of years, <laughs> not seconds, really. seconds of for years, seconds per year. Oh, there we go. Yeah. But if you're lucky enough to drink like a fifty-year-old Belvedere at thirty-eight thousand dollars a bottle. It's a long time to hold a drink in your mouth. Yeah, and you, as long as you can breathe through your nose. <laughs> Are you, is that about to segue you into fire breathing, Dan? No, no. Oh, yeah, actually, well... Oh, tell us about your fire breathing. Well, you're obviously desperate to tell us about the time you ran away to the circus when no, you were a teenager. No, 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 no. no. That's just it. Because obviously when you're fire breathing, is you have to put the fuel in your But mouth. you did run away to the circus. Yes, I did. Okay. I ran straight back again, but that's that's another story. So, yeah, you, you have fire breathed. 
<laughs> whatever the past participle of fire breathing is. Yes. Um, breathe fire. He was the inspiration for the greatest showman. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's it like breathing fire? I mean, while we're here. But, but, it, but it, you do put a highly flammable liquid in your mouth and you have to hold it there and you also have to breathe through your nose, which is partly about holding your breath. And it's, um, I've, I think I have done some fire breathing with alcohols, but it's, it's very, it's, it's, one, it's a waste of alcohol, obviously. And there's no doubt that you first learn uh, this is not a recommendation to to fire breathe when you are drunk, which is of course absolutely what not to do. And has okay. it ever gone wrong? It has a little bit. Um, you can burn yourself terribly. I actually remember being at a circus convention and fire breathing, uh, uh, and it went far too close to the big top. Mm. Uh, a, <laughs> that wasn't appreciated. A different what? kind of burn supper. Yeah, it was all very odd. I'm here but, um, a week. Okay. Um, but yes, that, but Michael, I actually really like that tip. That's a really nice tip of just keeping it in your mouth. And Dan, thank you for that. That's great. You're welcome. That's great. I'm, I'm here to. I'm here to please. Um, Michael, we've heard a lot from Daniel because he's a both a publicist and clearly a self-publicist. Um, so he's had a lot of a lot of self-training and self-help. So actually, probably, and if you compare, you're actually probably much more successful than him in terms of the business that you've built. Oh, no doubt of it. Hundred percent. So let's hear let's hear your story. How does one end up uh, co-founding a organisation who published some of the most read magazines in the world with this global reach? Completely by mistake. Okay. <laughs> no, it, I, I mean, I've trotted out this story a few times, and it's very fitting for tonight. It all started in a bar in Beirut. Oh. I was working for a London news channel called London Tonight, which is still going. It's the nightly um, six o'clock news for the London area. And um, my best friend from school was Lebanese, and his father said, please come out and do what they call an and finally story. You know, you've had this terrible news bulletin and then you want something a bit lighthearted to finish it. And we did an and finally story about tourism returning to Beirut. And this was not long after the Civil War. We were more used to Kate AD reporting from the Green Line rather than doing what we were, which was a... um, why not take a package holiday to, to Lebanon? The thing about, I mean, I've not been to Peru. <clears throat> it's been fabulous. To, yeah, I've been to lots of countries around <clears throat> yeah. there, um, but I've not been there. But yeah. the stories of what an incredible, beautiful, cosmopolitan, fantastic place, when they're not at war... Cosmopolitan. When they're not at war, it is an incredible place. No, no, so it, was, it, it was amazing, and, and, it, and it, it's such a fantastic city full of contradictions um and but anyway so we went out there did this and finally story and this man in the corner of the bar summoned me over and said what are you doing in my country and i said well we're making a positive news story about about lebanon and trying to encourage people to come back from uh, as tourists and he said i'm starting an airline and you know about television and you should do my in-flight entertainment and i was 22 years old completely green hadn't a clue, knew nothing about in-flight entertainment, knew nothing about publishing, and I went, absolutely, I can help you. Uh, so <laughs> no, it worked. So I wow. kind of went back, um, put together a pitch in my bedroom, um, very naive, and won the contract, and then just had to sort of figure it all out. So what was the airline? It was British Mediterranean Airways, and they started with one aircraft and one route, <clears throat> which was London Heathrow, Beirut, daily. And 
I then had to do all the in-flight entertainment as well. Couldn't quite figure out how to get news bulletins, like, really up to the minute. So I called up Sky News and did some licensing agreement for one plane and one route and ran... Um, I mean, this is absolutely crazy. I kind of ran, ran, got in touch with the facilities person at Heathrow and I ran a mile's worth of cable across the roof of Heathrow to the gate wow. and trained the crew how to take a little tape off and edited at the gate <laughs> and play it out. And the, but they were playing it out, you know, this was this was the bulletin 20 <laughs> minutes before takeoff, which is phenomenal. Of course, now they have direct TV and yeah. live streaming and so forth. But, you know, this was, this was 25 years ago. And, you know, I couldn't figure out how to get the headsets and went to a cash and carry. And <laughs> on the first wow. day, I thought, anyway, the point is, everything's changed since. And But that was the humble beginning. And I think in terms of entrepreneurship, you figure stuff out. Mm. And um, I suppose what we're really, really proud of is that we started 25 years ago with the smallest airline in the world. And today we have the biggest airline in the world and we're the... The, the market leader in what we do globally. It's extraordinary. I was listening to a podcast, not mine, uh, yesterday with an interview with an entrepreneur, and he was saying a version of exactly that, which is the sort of 20-something-year-old him made some huge bets and backed himself in a way that his grown-up self would never have done. Um, because you just do when you're young and you're... Well, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know so you, any better, so, so you just don't think know why what, not. You don't know what the rules are. You're fearless. It's an adventure. And as this is a whiskey podcast and there's been some cursing earlier, you think, fuck it, let's give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And it worked. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of jeopardy as well. You know, we then went into Africa and we um, did a magazine for what was called then Alliance Air. It doesn't exist anymore. I'll tell you why it doesn't exist. It was an alliance between the governments of Tanzania, Rwanda, uh, Kenya, South Africa. Okay. <laughs> Huge area. And they had, a, they had an old SAA, a South African Airways 747, and it would trundle its way back from London Heathrow via Entebbe, Dar es Salaam, and work its way down to Joburg. And then had some regional um, smaller jets that were going between. But, you know, Simon and I, who's my business partner, still today, um, we... Uh, Simon, this is the author of um, No F in Sales. The, no uh, F in Sales. Yeah, the yeah. award-winning book about sales. It's a really, really good sales book. You should buy it. And all the proceeds go to charity. Okay, well, we might. Simon will thank me for that. Um, but, you know, we, we went off into Africa. We were, you know, fearless. We were selling. So, you know, let's think about this, you know. A couple of young guys in their 20s um, thinking, sure, I can go into Lebanon and sell advertising. And we went to, I spent a lot of time in Damascus. And it was such a beautiful city. But it's just devastating what's happened. And down in Aleppo, and we were selling advertising in Alexandria. And then we were hanging out in Kampala with this new alliance there and going out to Kigali. And, you know, I remember watching, you know, Hotel Rwanda in the Neil Colleen Hotel, thinking that all these desperate prisoners are a mile down the road. And it was all very surreal, but such a a life lesson, you know, as a young guy in in his 20s, just, you know, starting up this new company. But what it also did was, excuse me, what it also did was allow us to think globally and not just within the confines of the UK. Mm. 
And it makes us incredibly proud today to think that it's two British guys um, creating all of this content for United Airlines and American and Amtrak here in the US. Um, and, you know, really having that impact. But I suppose what those carriers also want is that global perspective, that international outlook, mm. <clears throat> rather than sometimes just a local um, media agency or a publisher who might be more inward looking. Yeah. I mean, it, magazines are like newspapers. A lot of them are struggling because of the world's moved on and how people are consuming content. How have you managed to keep your advertisers with you and keep your products growing in a market that for so many people is so difficult? We, we have categorically bucked the trend. Yeah. So newsstand magazines, of course, are in decline, as are newspapers and local newspapers and so forth. But what you've got to remember with an airline is that it's a captive audience. Yeah. It's a growing audience. Aircraft orders have never been higher. Yeah. Passenger numbers are rising you know, dramatically. Um, so we can guarantee the eyeballs, and especially there's been a lot of you know, negative press about how real is the digital footprint and are these impressions and clicks real? And um, the, the, the great thing with the passengers on, on board airlines is that they're a high demographic, they're definitely real people, um, and you, you know, the airlines give us great freedom to create content that is genuinely authentic and engaging and not you know, marketing fodder. You know, I think every, I've read the magazines, not just because obviously I used to blog for you, but I, uh, <laughs> I've read them because, you know, flights are not always running on time. And people, you know, the movies haven't started yet, or yeah, there's yeah. a long announcement, or whatever. You know, you reach into that place and you pull out the magazine, and obviously some of it is very functional. You know, maps sure. of airports but and so love, on. But people love, but people all that. love it. And the yeah. front covers, you know, you've had, you know, with mm. when I was in the government, I remember getting involved and in helping. We did a John Boyega shoot before was for Force Awakens right. came out. I think it was. I think it was the second. No, yeah. it was a, might have been <clears throat> Last Jedi. But anyway, one of the Star Wars ones. But you know that you have very serious celebrities on the front. Um, and helpful travel articles in the middle. You know, you, you read them because they're they're there. Now you might not, you know, you might not buy it, but if it's sitting in front of you and you're sitting there, you've got nowhere to go for eight hours. Why wouldn't you read exactly. it? Exactly. And I think you do it all. It's not that you only watch a movie or you only work or sleep or drink or whatever it might be. You 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 do all of it. Um, and it's, it's funny also that you know there's a real fascination with. Um, the functionality of flying in a weird way. So I remember um, when we first started working with United, which was albeit 14 years ago, I was saying, what's the most listened to audio channel on the plane? And they were like, it's it's the cockpit. And you can, you can listen to all that. <laughs> you know, this is um, UA715 reported. <laughs> And maybe it's because people fall asleep to it. And I think also the moving map, people love that. People love the moving map. I've, I mean, the colleague of mine travels an enormous amount and he writes down the tail numbers of the planes and people like to know. I wouldn't talk to him one. anymore. <laughs> He's my boss, so I have to. Um, but, you know, people love all that stuff. Like, I think people enjoy that side. And now you can do the thing where you can have different views, front, side, above, all that sort of stuff. I think people enjoy that. that that's true. And And... But, but genuinely, it's you know, if you think of the US as well from an advertising perspective, advertisers are having to buy regionally. Yeah. So you're buying local markets and television or local newspapers or radio stations 
with with American and United, for example, you're you're literally getting the entire country. Yeah. Um, so it's actually a very efficient buy. And then we recently. Do you do podcast recommendations in any of your magazines? Well, we certainly should do, shouldn't we? I think you should. I can make recommendations. And what, 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 what's that, Dan? What would you recommend? Whiskey one. Ah, who yeah, wants a drink? I wouldn't recommend this one. Would, you? <laughs> would you like a drink, Michael? That's why I wouldn't recommend it. I might do if you could pour me another one. Which one do you want? I think I'm going to go PT. Okay. Good. PT's good. Oh, we've never finished. We finished once. We, when we did the Ross King MBE podcast, we it drank was, an entire bottle of whiskey during the recording. Just the two of you. Uh, there's three of us. My, oh, that's my right. absent co-host. It but was. It was pretty. It was pretty obvious. Is that your invisible friend? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've ever drunk two bottles of whiskey, but there are three. Of us. Let's see how we get on. Dan, what one do you like? I'm, I'm still working through the both of them. So, so actually, Dan, I have to say, the most drunk I've ever been on whiskey was with you. Not was a few weeks ago when you came round pre-Christmas. Yeah, and I, I think we opened up seven bottles. Yeah. Now we didn't finish seven bottles. You'd be pleased to know, Michael. But we certainly drank a. We dented them. Actually, we did. Am I allowed to say that? No, you can't. I. And this is good my, for the Scottish my, economy. No, my, so. yeah, no, it is very good for the Scottish economy. My whiskey philosophy has always been: I try desperately never to drink whiskey standing up. <laughs> it, it's a. It is a hotel bar or somebody's house sitting down drink with real friends so if i'm you know i will obviously i do you drink have to stand up at up. some point in the evening no yeah i mean if you go, if you go to the bathroom but you don't take the whiskey with you i mean maybe you do um, but, yeah it's mine don't touch it like i'm a you know if i'm in a bar and i'm standing up because it's busy and i have a beer or whatever it is but drinking real whiskey I like to do with real people sitting down. That's mm. why it's a it's a different sort of drink, and you have to take it seriously. As opposed to your online friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. But, uh, but it is, and it's it is a nice thing. And I'm, as the Scotsman here, where it was just a functional drink that I would ever see. I'd see my parents' friends drink it, and they would just be doing it practically. With their friends, enjoying. What do you, what do you mean, practically drinking well, they're not, whiskey? They're, they're, they're not making what a. What do you mean? They're not doing it. They're not doing it for sure. They're not. Doing, I, I'm not. I'm not keen on impractical. Well, <laughs> so. you know, when someone you see someone in a bar, like I want, I want them all. You know, I want the, I want the, you know, someone in America saying, I want the 37 year old, I want the 50 year old, I want, you know, and they're actually doing it for sure. Yes. Whereas it was just a practical drink for my. That's true. Although in America, that's a huge part of it. So the bars in America that stock the. Very, very expensive, very old whiskeys. Right. So the, the the whiskey ambassadors will tell you that if a bar stocks, a, let's say, a Balvenie 50, which yeah. is $38,000 retail, um, yeah. it will go for, in a bar, six $800 a shot. They will sell huge amounts of the Balvenie yeah. 12, yeah. 14, 17, 21, because people will see, what's the most expensive whiskey? I won't do an American accent, but... There will people who go, what's the most expensive whiskey you've got? And then when they tell them it's that much, they don't want that one, but they want the one that's near that. Oh, so wow. there's a sort of halo effect wow. to those, because there is a lot of show to it. So the bars that have the 50-year-olds sell disproportionately more, more of the of ones the below ones. as well. But, I mean, that's the same with wine as well. A friend of mine was a um, sommelier at Wally's Wine Bar <laughs> in, uh, in Beverly Hills, which is a favourite of Piers Morgan and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And... Um, <laughs> Together? What a recommendation. Together, done? Not together, uh, among others. And she would say that celebrities would come in and say, you know, come in in advance and say, we're doing an event tonight. I want you to come to my table and sell us a a wine that costs 10,000 and pretend that I know lots about it. 
Because yeah. that's what they do. Oh, yeah, wow. they, I mean, it was extraordinary. Wow. So there is a lot of show to expensive drinking. I think more so in America. I can't imagine there's much. Maybe in London you get bits of that, but I can't imagine it's as extreme. I've, I've never heard somebody preempting or asking in advance for a, a waiter to come and do that. Yeah. So to my point, practical or impractical drinking is just in, <clears throat> in Scotland you just drink whiskey. And, yeah. and there's no heavy show to it. You get one that you like and you try to stick to it if it's the one that you, know, you can afford. And, yeah. and it's just, it was always around. And it's, I guess we're lucky. I mean, did you get that in Ireland? Michael? Well, my, my father, unfortunately, was quite a big drinker. And we grew up in a beautiful little village called Hillsborough in Northern Ireland, mm. where government houses actually. So that's where the British government home secretary for Northern Ireland would reside. So Peter Mandelson and Mermelum and so forth. And we lived... I love Peter Mandelson. I just want to say that on record. I used to work for him. He was the most extraordinary politician. Did you call him Mandy? I don't think I was allowed to. No, okay. I think I called I mean, him Minister. I mean... Or Secretary of State. Actually, but. one of the last uh, whiskies I had at the Roosevelt, where I think you are, Michael, where you're staying in, in Hollywood, was with Peter. Oh, yeah, because you know I, him. I've, known, I've, known, it, Peter, yeah. I've known Peter for many, many years. Lovely man. Yeah. Um, but he... Uh, so this little village where I grew up, um, we lived about, a, a, I guess, about three quarters of a mile from my dad's favourite pub. So he would pour himself a whiskey or um, drink before he left home, but he would call the pub in advance because, of course, you need to pour a Guinness properly. Mm. So he'd call up, to, he'd call up <laughs> to the bar and say, hello, it's Don, I'm leaving now. <laughs> And, he'd right. and he would slowly amble up to the pub, have a couple of cigarettes on the way, and get up there. And by the time we get up to the pub, which would be, I guess, you know, 15 or 20 or so minutes, he would have the perfect pint waiting and he'd oh, have so another that's... whiskey chaser. <laughs> See, Sadly, that... he died quite young. <laughs> <laughs> but that's practical drinking. That, he's taken that very seriously. He's, yeah. he's committed. I mean, there's some amazing stories from the past of how people interacted with alcohol. I mean, obviously, this maybe sounds like a slightly... No, to be fair, bit, I mean, it, was a, it was a heart attack. But you know, he, he um, you know, did, did, love his, did love his whiskey. And of course, in Northern Ireland, we have Bushmills, mm. a 400-year-old distillery, which, which is... Um, Do you drink Bushmills? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think people people from Northern Ireland are very, you know, passionate about what's homegrown mm. and and local. So yeah, I'm not against Bushmills. I had a job once where I used not to have not to being against it isn't exactly for it. Then. <laughs> no, right. that's how diplomats speak. Former diplomats speak. But I, I a, I've been to Belfast a few times, and um, I've been known. I I like to drink local, so I drank Bushmills. Well, you have to be diplomatic and. Do what you're told, do you? Yeah, it was actually my pre-diplomatic days, but I okay. still went and... I was a stag do, actually. But um, anyway, I still drank lots of butch meals. Very good. Great drink. Yeah. Um, and um, I suppose while we're here, your, your mother, she's famous. Let's talk about her. Yeah, she is a well-known British broadcaster yeah. called Gloria Honeywood. And she, she has letters after her name, like some of our previous guests. She have. does. You know, but what, what's amazing about mum is that she... Um, started off having the, the biggest nightly show in Northern Ireland in, uh, called Good Evening Ulster on Ulster Television, okay. which was um, the, the regional ITV um, station for, for Northern Ireland, uh, which was <coughs> six to seven every single night of the week, Monday to Friday. Um, it, was a, it was a clever format because it would flex up the entertainment of the news because, you know, obviously Northern Ireland, this is somewhat post 
um, bombs and bullets, but it was still, you know, after, after the, the, the difficult terrorism days. Um, and sometimes you'd have very sectarian heavy news days. So if it was a very heavy news day, it'd be more news and sometimes more entertainment. But, you know, any any big guest coming into Belfast, you know, including Elton John and Cliff Richard or you know, um, whatever guests were coming in would, would come on the show. And then out of the blue, she got a call from BBC Radio 2 in London to stand in for Jimmy Young. And <laughs> if you know who, for, for anyone listening who would know who Jimmy Young was, but it was one of the biggest um, Radio 2 broadcasters in the UK at the time, and he would do all the big political interviews. And she was deputising for two weeks whilst he went on holiday. And some of the guests she found out afterwards, some of the, the, the big politicians coming in would say, oh, we'll, we'll get an easy ride today because it's some blonde from Belfast who's standing in whilst Jimmy's on holiday. Oh, but actually what they didn't know is that mum had been an amazing news journalist in Northern Ireland. And of course, because she was deputising and wanted to make a name for herself, she said, I'm really going to do my research. So she went for them. And there was that handover with Terry Wogan, who was the broadcaster doing the breakfast show before um, she she was doing her, her programme. And she did this really fun thing where she'd go, listeners, if you if you knew what I could see here with, with Terry Wogan, he's got egg stains down his dressing gown. He makes an absolute <laughs> shambles. So they had this great banter that they'd never had before. And at the end of the two-week stint, BBC said, actually, we loved you so much, we want to offer you your own your own dedicated daytime show. And she was the very, very first, this was back in 1982, and she was the very first female broadcaster on BBC to ever get her own programme. And, you know, she was a trailblazer in terms of, um, you know, just woman making a mark on the media landscape. Mm. And what's extraordinary is that she turns 80 in April. Wow. And she's still doing, she still has three programs, three TV shows on, on BBC television in the UK. And she, she rang me the other day and said, actually, she's doing a week of lives this week. And she said yesterday morning they had the, the highest ratings of BBC daytime throughout the whole, the whole, the whole day. And they've just renewed the, the, the show's contract for two years. And it's just amazing that you can be a female broadcaster at 80 and wow. still have that, that, that level of... Um, That's extraordinary. A, a, a program on yours. Does she drink whiskey? Does she <coughs> want to come on the podcast? She doesn't really drink anymore, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. I'll have to make do with her son. Um, well, it's extraordinary. What's it? We've had a guest on here whose father was a celebrity and he grew up in that crazy... Actually, we've had two guests on who've had either famous parents or access. There was one guy who came on who was talking about sort of Sean Connery leaving voicemails for his dad on the days before mobile phones and so on. Presumably, you were exposed to all sorts of fascinating people as part of that growing up. Yes, when I was 14, Mum was given a show um, in London called Sunday Sunday, which was actually only in the London areas for London Weekend Television, Um, which actually one of your previous guests, Nigel Lithgow, was was, um, an executive at the time. Mm. And they had very, very, very big guests. So it was, you know, when Dallas was at its height, you know, um, Patrick Duffy playing Bobby Ewing was on, and they had um, um, Betty Davis, and 
um, you know, just the, the biggest names of the day. And that was always recorded on a, on a Thursday night. So I would finish school, um, go home and get out of my school uniform and get the train up to the studio and do my homework in the studio and then um, sit in the green room and watch the programme. But you got, I got to meet all of these incredible people um, every Thursday evening. And you go back into school in the morning and go, what did you do last night? That's going to lead to bullying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Do you think when you were in that Beirut bar and this opportunity came your way, because you'd been exposed to a, something different <clears throat> to your standard Northern Irish child, that you had a certain chutzpah to you that other people wouldn't have had, do you think? Absolutely. I think it was definitely a case of seeing what mum had done and how she'd changed her life and actually changed the life of, I suppose, the direction of the entire family going forward, you think, to a degree, anything's possible. Mm. And there was, no, there was another thing that I did when I was, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I was never into rugby or sports. I'm not a big guy. But all my friends at school were. I watched the school assembly, um, and a guy was giving a talk on how he'd been off on this ex- uh, expedition with the army and I went I'd love to do that and all my friends went piss off there's no way you couldn't do that you couldn't pick up the rucksack and trek for 15 hours and I went fuck you yes I could so despite them almost I applied and out of about 6,000 applicants got a place and I went off to eastern Greenland for six weeks where it was 24 hour daylight with the army and did this incredible cleanup operation because there's been some some um, oil drums left there, you know, 25 years prior. And our first walk to base camp was 14 hours, and this tiny little plane had dropped us off and said, "See you in six weeks." My pack was huge; I had to dump loads of stuff. But those six weeks taught me a huge life lesson. I did come back and think, actually, anything is possible, mm. and you can change things and create your own destiny and I'm, I'm a great believer in just giving things a go. I think a lot of people will worry about the outcome. They'll mm. want to do loads of research and, you know, R&D. And <laughs> I'd rather just give something a go, fail quickly, and, and move on or just figure it out. Extraordinary. Look, we are um, nearly 100% over time, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good sign. I guess we have twice as many guests as usual so let me do the final question now obviously as I know you've listened to at least a couple of these podcasts Daniel has professed to listen to some but I don't believe him so I'm going to give him the first question to see if he really has or not oh great as you know there is the same final question every week yep do you know what it is about where I'd rather who would have wanted to drink with oh you have listened to the podcast that that was close you are a good good friend so the question is uh, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, where would it be, and what would it be? I mean, I think I would uh, drink a Delphi. You didn't say that's a good question, which no, means no. you've already put your answer. <laughs> so anyway. Does it? Okay, um, go on. Um, that is a very good question. Yeah, it's it a good is question. a very good It's actually our best question, which is <laughs> ironic, because all the terrible ones you said were good. But anyway, go on. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. What were you saying? A Delphi um, whiskey. You will not have heard of it. Uh, in fact, it's a very he small. Definitely prepped. It. <laughs> <laughs> he googled whiskeys. Dan hasn't heard of. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it came up. Um, Adelphi first sponsored uh, one of the very first international events I ever hosted. So he's definitely prepped. <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, I don't know what yeah, you're talking about. Fine, okay. Um, and 
And their blend was one... It, I, I don't even know if it's still available or not, but it was really good. It was like, you know, at the time, you know, not expensive. Um, delicious. Um, Charlie Chaplin. Okay. I mean, also we're sitting in Los Angeles and Charlie Chaplin owned most of this area around us. Did he? Mm. Yeah, he really did. He was getting paid $2 million a movie then. Not just the equivalent amount. He in, was what, getting, in what year? Probably in the, in the 30s. You're have kidding you, me. Yeah. Have you been to Mushan Front? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right around the corner. That's his. Yeah. Favorite restaurant. Yeah. And and, and yeah. All his. All his. It's lovely. All, yeah. Anyway. Um, so so I mean I think it'd be hard to, to not spend time yeah. listening to his stories. Um, yeah. Obviously having a tragic childhood in in in, um, uh, in London and hearing all the next. Sorry. What was it? Some person. Whiskey. Whiskey place. Place. Give answer it now. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, and and place. Ah, uh, I have to then pl- go back to. Um, it would have to be somewhere in Scotland. And it would have to be somewhere very remote in a local pub. Um, maybe Glenelg, maybe Arnisdale, up up the West Coast. Family, friends who probably introduced me to whiskey and, and uh, handstands and chairs drinking whiskey. But that's another story for another day. Um, and in, in, the, in the north of Scotland. Okay. Very good. Is that all right? Oh, it's fine. Thank you. Can I drink? Yeah. Okay, thank you. You'd obviously prep that entire answer. You should have just written it down and given it to me at the beginning. We could have started with that, but no. I can give you another answer. I can give you another answer. I can give you another answer off the cuff. The answer is whatever your answer is. That's actually actually a very good answer. Yeah, but Oscar Wilde, because you think, oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be good. I mean, Oscar Wilde, I mean, we could all easily not prep this answer and yeah. come up with eight well no people. We, we, some people definitely don't because Nigel Lithgow's son Chris who was on to talk about pantomime oh, he, no, said, he, he said Hitler um, and, then, and then backtracked so you know people say odd things anyway that's very weird Michael with a little bit of preparation because you just heard his answer if you could drink any whiskey with anyone dead or alive who would it be where would it be and what would it be well mine's mine's actually quite emotional and all based at home and it would have to be with my late sister Karen to have one more evening. Um, Karen was a gorgeous, gorgeous girl who sadly passed away of breast cancer at 41. Um, And we would be in the Crown Bar in Belfast. And for those listeners who don't know what the Crown Bar is, it's the beautiful old tiled Victorian pub opposite the Europa Hotel. And the Europa, the the Europa Hotel is the most bombed yeah, hotel, <laughs> the most bomb hotel in the world. I think in the world, yeah. which is ironic, during, given you started in during, your during, journey during in Beirut the, during the troubles. It was bombed twenty one times. But the resilience of those who come from Belfast is like we will not yeah. worry about that. We and will just have a drink. Don't worry about that. And you know the windows might be boarded up, and they would go back in. And the, my fond memory of Karen, is, and of course we'd have to have Bushmills to fully answer your question, but my fond memory of Karen was also that she'd go into the crime bar in Belfast and say, can I have a pint of Guinness? And of course they'd go, no problem at all. And then she'd go, can you put a dash of Ribena in that? And they'd go, <laughs> no. But she just loved it. And they would refuse for about a good 20 minutes. And then they'd go, okay, fine. But it was complete sacrilege. But is that a I thing would, putting Ribena? I know it's a terrible thing, but I would it's give probably, anything for one more night. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Well, on that note, Michael and Daniel, thank you very much indeed. Our thank you. I made the night continue. Mm, I love scotch. Scotch. And don't forget to not just follow us on. 
Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>